from the properly planted studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another very good episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Serviceberry is a great native plant that produces super early fruits for wildlife and people. But should it still get my tough love planting if it's been growing in a nursery bed for a year? On today's show, we'll remind everyone why you should not, quote, improve the soil in the planting hole when installing new trees and shrubs. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That means we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and gregariously grandiose gentrification. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, because it's all coming up faster than a berry that services, because you forced it to make peace with your clay. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to an encore episode of You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I will wear a different shirt during the rest of the show because we wanted to tell you that we were repeating a show from earlier this year that has very important advice. Coming up is the time when garden centers and nurseries are going to be discounting their plants heavily. Fall is the perfect time to install new trees and shrubs, and we will explain in depth why you should not ever improve the soil in the planting hole of those new installations. All right, the number to call, 833-727-9588. Leah, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello. Hello, Leah. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm just ducky, thanks for asking. (laughs) Where is where is Leah? I'm going to have a duck here one of these days, like Groucho used to have. Uh, where is Leah doing good? I live in northern New Jersey in Morris County. I'm okay, sure very but. good. What can we do for Leah in the Garden State? So I just have some general questions about planting seeds in my raised garden beds and also in some large pots that I have. Sure. Um, so the issue is that we've had a pretty decent spring so far, so I've been able to get out in my garden a little earlier than I was last year. So I was taking off the chopped leaves that I had over my beds, and I decided to plant some seeds that on the package so that they were okay to be planted in the spring. Like I have some carrots and radishes, mm-hmm. some peas that um, said they could stand a, fr- a frost if in case we have one. Right. So I refreshed the soil. Um, I do also have an additional question about a soilless um, planting mix, but my immediate question is, after I planted all those seeds, I did all this work, a week later, I realize it's a feeding frenzy in my garden with the birds. They oh, have eaten yeah. every single seed that I planted, so nothing, not a single one came up, so they must have gotten to all of them. So, And I, I haven't had this issue before and I feel like the birds are very active. I've followed your advice about the suet feeders, trying to attract birds to eat the pests in my garden. I have a little bird bath. I feel like I have a very nice 
um, a, a very nice area back them back there for them. But they've pre- and they've even gone after. I have some garlic coming up. I have little strawberry babies, and I can see that they've pecked at those too. Mm-hmm. So um, this, they're just really, really active. Yeah. What should I do? This does not happen very often, but when it happens, it's really annoying because birds will get into this habit. And once they do something a couple of times, they're going to keep coming back and doing it. So no, 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 no. we're we're not talking <laughs> we're not talking about anything devilish here. So um, later on in the season, you're going to have big plants, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Have you ever thought about getting a motion-activated sprinkler? I do have one. I haven't set it up yet. I was having some issues with my hose, but it is resolved. So that was one thing I was planning on doing because I haven't tried again with new seeds. I have some new seeds, but I feel like I want to I want to be prepared. That's why I wrote to you in the first place. Before I spend all this time planting more seeds, I wanted to kind of check all the boxes and make sure I'm protecting the seeds from the birds because they're just I can see even in the in the ground I can see little like holes that they've made. They've really, oh yeah. Like searched. I had like a row of spinach planted. They got all <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So, and that's yeah, how so they repay the you for the suet over the winter, the yeah, birds. Yeah. <laughs> so um, motion-activated sprinkler. You know, we've had a beautiful spring in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, it's gotten Definitely. some chilly. It's been too windy. Um, the rain seems to be less intense. But I've noticed the nighttime temperatures are, are pretty moderate. I've had my tomato plants outside. Um, wow. Not in the ground. No, no, just taking them out for a walk mm-hmm. where, you know, I'll look and see it's going to be bright and sunny. The nights are going to be in the 50s. So I'll just turn my lights off inside and let them sit outside in the natural um, daylight and warm evenings and, you know, kind of get a taste of nature. So mm-hmm. they did come back on the first night that dropped below 40, but it still didn't freeze. So I think it's perfectly acceptable right now to set up your uh, your motion-activated sprinkler. You may not even have to drain it. I think we might be out of the uh, real frosty issues uh, coming up. So aim that where the birds are coming down. And then what do you have around the house? Do you have chicken wire or do you have any kind of welded wire? No welded wire. Around my garden, I have two large raised beds, and then I have a whole bunch of large pots that I've collected over the years that I use for planting other vegetables that okay. don't have huge root systems. And I have a very like high deer fence because we, I mean, where I am in New Jersey, we have a lot of wildlife. We have bear, we have groundhog, we have a whole family of groundhogs, we have fox. We have a lot going on, so well, you have ca- to have. Be careful with. Be careful with those groundhogs because they can really undermine structures and they can really take a toll on our companion animals, dogs and cats. They're uh, pretty vicious and uh, they can can actually damage the foundation of your house. So what I'm thinking is you go to the hardware store and you take a good look. I would say your two choices here are uh, a material called hardware cloth. It's not cloth, it's metal, and it has very small openings. And a lot of times, for instance, if you're gardening out west, growers will line their beds with hardware cloth to try to keep gophers out, which are a tremendous pest that would come up from underneath. 
you could manipulate the hardware cloth, not laying it directly on top of your crops or anything like that, but maybe bend the edges, make it a kind of a rectangle or even a loop and have it just sitting over the area that's been planted. So there'd be plenty of air space so they couldn't just peck down in between the holes, but birds can't move um, something like that. So you'd be playing around. You'd you want to have it about a foot up in the air. Same thing if you wanted to buy a roll of chicken wire. You just cut it off, and then the chicken wire, again, you would bend the sides to kind of force it into a rectangle and mm -hmm. have the sides be about a foot long and then the top going over so that they can't reach it, no matter how long their beaks are, And but perfectly okay for any kind of pollinators to come in who want to check out what you're growing. You know, the bees will be able to get in just fine. Um, so okay. I, I think that's probably the easiest way. A lot of people will tell you you can take some of your old CDs and put them out there on like mm -hmm. I read that, yeah. garden hooks and stuff. I'm not, I'm not really sure that would be tremendously effective, but you can, you can try it. Um, I think really um, some protective wire cages. And if you're handy or you know anybody who's handy, you can always make these semi-permanent. Uh, attach them to blocks of wood that are the right size to fit over, say, a section of your garden bed. And then you wouldn't have to be making these things by hand or repairing them. You'd have something you could put on top that would allow, again, if you wanted pollinators to come in, but would keep things like birds out. And once you make it well, it should last for you for 10, 12, 20 seasons. Okay, that's a good idea. I did ask at my local garden center, and they had recommended putting down hay because they said that that's what people do when they plant grass seeds. They spread hay over the seed. So what do you think about that? Um, well, I'm against it when you plant grass seed because I think all, oh, it, okay. all it does is prevent sunlight from getting to the seed yeah, and germination. It could be helpful with birds. Um, they're going to come, but they're going to be attracted to the hay because they're building their nests right now. That's true. Oh, okay. I've got flycatchers and um, and other uh, birds like that that are building nests all over the house this year. It's just mm -hmm. remarkable, and they might go in there to get some of the material for their own nests. But um, mm -hmm. you can get, you know, for instance, on top of your containers where making a, a wire cage over top might be a little bit difficult you know you could try it there you know the, you know just think of physical exclusion or confusion you know if you're going to do it um if you're going to do the straw on the containers you know get a couple of those pinwheels um in, mm -hmm. in, okay you know and it, even if it doesn't work it'll look like fun it'll look like somebody's having fun you know yeah other than the birds. Okay. Yeah. All right, those are some good ideas. Thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure to talk to you. You too. That number to call, and you can call at any time, is 833-727-9588. Debbie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Hello, Debbie. How are you? Great. And where is Debbie great? I'm from Brynixville, PA. I know exactly where that is. When my son was in youth baseball, and I was a coach. We loved coming to Brynigsville because we played under lights. You, you uh -huh. guys have a great field there. Yes, we do. 
All right. What can I do for Debbie in Brunigsville, PA? Well, I was wondering your thoughts um, on my uh, Japanese weeping cherry and my others, my snow goose cherry trees. Mm -hmm. This year, they have hardly had any flowers at all. Really? Yes. And I see in the other neighborhoods, um, they're blooming really nicely. Well, the little flowers that were on are gone already. And, of course, now the, the, the leaves look fine, but I just was wondering your thoughts on that. Well, you, <clears throat> you don't live that far from my neighborhood, so to speak, and there weren't any frosts at the wrong time. Um, did your plants perhaps bloom in the fall when we had that long extended, uh, we had that freeze and that long extended warm period? Not that I noticed. Okay. Now, you would notice it. Yeah. No, no. no okay. Didn't. Um, how long have they been in the ground? Uh, the snow goose cherry trees are about, uh, we've planted about 11 or 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then the, the little Japanese weeping uh, is like four or five years. That's a, that beautiful, that's a beautiful tree. And they've bloomed well in the past. Well, it, it's... Um, not real heavy because you know it's it's still getting going and it's and it's small still, um, but it's they've bloomed. All okay. of them have bloomed. Okay. Do you prune them? Uh, yes, a little bit. When do you prune them? Um, well, the weeping cherry when they get too long and we're trying to cut underneath them uh -huh. and we have to trim them a little. Right. Um, I was gonna do a little pruning now. Um, for just thin out the, the Japanese weeping. Okay, so the only safe time to spring, to spring, <laughs> to prune spring blooming trees and shrubs is after they're done blooming. So okay. because you really didn't get any blooms and something weird happened, I'm going to ask you to wait until, okay. until the flowers are off of your neighbor's cherry trees. When you, okay. when you don't see any, any flowers on the, on the local cherry trees, then you can prune your plants. Uh, don't prune more than a third and never prune them after, say, June, because you'll okay. remove the buds. Um, are, th are they mulched? Uh, very little, just a tiny bit. And what is it? It's uh, just regular black mulch. Okay, get that away from them. Um, okay. Dyed mulches, we don't know what's in those dyes. And there was never a good reason. Uh, people my age, you know, just look at this and slap our heads. There was never a mulching season. Nobody spread wood mulch all over their property. It was only when landfills started to get filled up and they wouldn't take wood waste anymore that all of this junk was chipped up and dyed that god-awful color. And then people just imitated other people who used it. But it is terrible for your plants. So just rake, just, it's better to have no mulch than to have dyed wood mulch underneath your plants. Um, are they growing in or near a treated lawn? No, we don't treat our lawn. Excellent. And how much sun do they get? Oh, full sun all day. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to remove that black mulch. You just toss it into the woods or something. There's lots of woods near Brunigsville. Um, and then I want you to go to an independent garden center, like a mom and pop garden center. Okay. And get a bag of rock phosphate. 
It'll be a relatively small bag. This is phosphorus in its original rock form. It's mined. So how many trees do you have? Three. Okay. Anywhere between a half a cup and a cup of rock phosphate um, in a circle around the trunk of the tree. And then get a bag of real premium compost, real good compost um, while you're at the garden center. And then cover the rock phosphate with an inch of compost. Apply the compost as a mulch even, uh, going, not touching the trunk of the trees, uh, but going out um, as far as the furthest branch. Putting the compost on top will help the rock phosphorus activate quicker. Um, These minerals take a little bit of time uh, to be absorbed by the plants. But the good news is you won't have to do it again for three to five years. Uh, Phosphorus remains in the soil. And this is a very slow release form that's not dangerous to waterways or anything. It's organically approved. So uh, some rock phosphate covered with compost and light a candle to the Blessed Mother for next year. All right. Thanks so much. Well, I'm back, and it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone out there not to let ripe tomatoes linger on the vine in the summer sun. A fully ripe tomato sitting out in full sun for an extra day can lose up to a third of its flavor. So pick your tomatoes promptly and pick them early in the morning for the fullest flavor. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to an encore episode of You Bet Your Garden, originally broadcast in May of this year. From the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute, hosting a Fall on the Farm event on Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd. Visitors can enjoy organic apple and pumpkin picking, wagon tours, food vendors, live music, and more. Details at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I'm quick changing Mike McGrath because we're doing new introductions to an encore show we originally recorded earlier this year. Very important topic coming up at the end, how to install new shrubs and trees, which will soon be on sale at your local garden center. Until then, more of your fabulous phone calls. And even though this is an encore, you can call our number and get in line to be on a future show. That number is 833-727-9588. Michael, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here, Michael. Where are you from? Um, We live just north of Pittsburgh in Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania. When I visited, I always found the food in Pittsburgh to be uh, to be amazing. Um, it reminded me of Chicago. Yeah, yeah, we lived in Chicago too. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a great food town as well. All right, what can we do for you today, Mike? Well, we're having problems with our yard, our lawn, mm-hmm. and we've been in this house for 25 years, and um, you know the lawn's always been great. Um, 
But uh, the last couple of years, we had moss invading um, the yard, and also we have a mole problem, which uh, and kind of at a wit's end as to what to do about them. Okay. We don't, Let's... we don't really want to poison them. Oh, no, no, no. You don't ever want to poison mice, rats, or moles. Because what happens then is really beneficial creatures, raptors, foxes, um, will eat the, the carcass, and then the poison gets passed along, and you do tremendous environmental damage. It's also very difficult to get moles to, um, to eat anything. I'll tell you what, we'll start with moles first since we're doing okay. this. Yeah, um, good. You can't put poison gummy bears or poison gummy worms down the, down the holes. You, you, I mean, you can, but it's not going to work. And then what if a child finds this brightly colored worm that looks like candy? Uh, because right. the moles will kick it out and they'll take it someplace else. Same with juicy fruit. Moles only eat one thing, so to speak, which is okay. live food. They eat earthworms, they eat beetle grubs, and they eat cicada larvae. All okay. three things that live in the lawn and are fat and full of protein, but moles will not eat even those creatures if they're dead. So none of these poisons will be eaten by the moles. They'll all be eaten by other creatures, and almost certainly the ones you didn't want to poison. Right. Uh, the first thing you do when moles show up is you see if you can reduce the grub level in your lawn. Um, All right. In the past, to do that naturally, you had to wait till the late summer, early fall, which is when you would spread milky spore disease on your lawn. Milky spore okay. is a naturally occurring soil organism that exists in the soils of Japan, which is why Japanese beetles are not a problem in Japan. Uh -huh. There's this natural control that keeps their numbers low. They're actually considered beautiful, lucky creatures because there's so few of them, and they really are beautiful in absentia, so to speak. Exactly. So years and years ago, this substance, before World War II, entomologists went over to Japan, discovered this substance in the soil, brought it back, concentrated it. And although garden centers will sell it to you in the spring, it doesn't work in the spring. It only works when the soil is very warm and the grubs are feeding on the roots of your lawn. And that's that sweet spot between mid-July and late August. Okay. But over the past just few years, a new strain of BT has been developed. Um, again, I don't know if it's available from other people, um, Gardens Alive, who helped develop it. They may have uh, the exclusive on it right now. Um, but it is called BTG. Uh, BT for Bacillus thuringiensis, just like all the other BTs, and Galleria is the subspecies name. Now, you don't have to remember any of that. Um, okay. Gardens Alive sells it, I, as I, I think they call it Grub Be Gone or something like that. But if, okay. you're in, if you're in a retail store and you see a natural or organic um, grub control, Look at the ingredients. If it says BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, BTG, um, that's the stuff you want. And that works in the spring as well as in the fall. So, oh, all right. So if, if the moles um, in, uh, oh, I'm sorry, if the grubs ingest a little bit of either substance, their stomachs stop working and they die. Now, okay. 
but that only gets rid of one source of food. And cicadas are only a real food source every once in a while when the period, periodic cicadas uh, come out in numbers. But you still got your earthworms, and you don't want to damage those. But it's right. a good start. At the same time, I would advise you to spread a castor oil product, a professionally made castor oil mold and vole repellent. Okay. Um, they come in liquid form. They come in granular form. And you, you want to buy the one with the highest level of active ingredient and spread it all over your lawn. Now, okay. uh, it imparts a smell to the subterranean soil that moles and voles don't like, and hopefully they'll move and bother your neighbor's lawn. Um, <laughs> but it's no guarantee. Moles are, um, moles are resistant to most controls and can drive people as crazy as the gopher who drove uh, uh, in Caddyshack. <laughs> right, yeah. Bill Murray, yeah. Bill Murray crazy, yeah, like he needed far to go. Um, <laughs> but eventually some people, if, if they can't stand the problem, they will uh, have somebody professionally come out and install traps, which are not live traps. They are, they are kill traps and they are big and dangerous and cumbersome and you really need a professional. But before you do that, get rid of the grubs in your lawn, which is gonna be good for your lawn. And uh, you know, a combination of the BTG now and the Milky Spore in uh, you know, July and August, that's your right. best shot. Now, okay. now, moss does not develop suddenly in a lawn. Um, is your lawn shaded by big trees? Um, some parts of it is, yes. Um, but you're seeing moss in areas that are not shaded? Yes. Okay. Um, so you may be able to take care of the problem very easily. Uh, moss is a sign of poor drainage, shade, and highly acidic soil. Your okay. Lawn, your lawn will grow better if you level out the pH to neutral. So have a soil test done. The only thing you're really interested in is what's the pH of your soil? Okay. Norm, normal is seven. That's right down the middle. That's, not, that's the Goldilocks one. That's not too acid, not too alkaline. Lower okay. numbers become acidic. Lawns thrive between a pH of 6.5 and seven. All right. If it's down at like 5.5, you're gonna get moss growing. So the way you treat your lawn is have the soil test done, and they, they will give you an amount of agricultural lime to spread per thousand square feet. You can replace, if you know anyone who has a wood stove or burns wood over the winter, you can, repl right. you can replace the agricultural lime with wood ash. It is one of the only good uses in the landscape for hardwood ash and people who do burn wood for heat over the winter are desperate to get rid of all their ashes in an environmentally sound way. So find out what the recommendation is and then apply 1.3 times as much wood ash. That's the calcium carbonate equivalency. That'll raise okay. the pH and if you keep the pH up around 6.5 to 7, um, the, the moss can't survive. Okay. And if you, Great. if you find that your lawn is not draining well, the second step would be a core aeration in the late summer, early fall to relieve the soil compaction. 
Yeah, that's something that's probably added to this problem because we haven't had it aerated in um, a couple of years. The guy we used um, retired, and, right. and we didn't get anybody else. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, good old Pennsylvania clay. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it that's contributing to the moss problem. But, you know, you don't want to aerate um, a cool season lawn in the spring. So wait till like the end of uh, July, early August and have that done after the last heat wave passes. Okay. All right, Michael. Great. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate the information. Thank you. Sneaky man getting two questions in on one call. (laughs) Right. You're proud of yourself. All right. Yes, I am. Take care, Michael. Robin, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Well, thank you, Robin. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And where is Robin doing great? Uh, in Bethlehem, PA today. Oh, okay, where we our studios are. Yes. Now, you say today. Do you not live in the Christmas city? Uh, I live in Allentown, actually. Okay. I hail from Allentown. Okay, very good. All right. Well, you're in the same A-B-E, part of the great state commonwealth of Pennsylvania. What can we do for Robin? Well, I'll tell you, I'm a person who likes to cook with fresh herbs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've tried a number of times on my own to grow them. So I had a couple of quick questions for you. Okay. Um, Number one, is it best to grow cooking herbs like cilantro and basil um, inside or outside? Well, outside in the summer, for sure. Inside, mm-hmm. you would, to get any kind of quantity, you would need an extensive setup of artificial light. Okay. Because don't forget, when we, when we talk about artificial light indoors, we're talking about trying to replace a constantly exploding nuclear reactor in the sky. And that throws some serious lumens down on our plants. So... You know, a bright, sunny windowsill is, is going to give you not only herbs that are tall and spindly, they probably don't have a lot of flavor either because they haven't had that photosynthesis to really charge them up with nutrients and volatile organic compounds. Oh, it makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me as to why there's been a difference in taste. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. There's nothing like outdoors. And if you are growing outdoors in the summer, can you then bring those plants in as long as you provide the light, uh, the right light source, will they continue, or is it you really need to try and regrow them? Well, it, it, there's two kinds. I mean, you've got your annual plants, mm-hmm. and those plants are going to live for one season and pretty much die. They're going to set their seed, and they're going to be done. And then you have your perennial herbs, things like all of the thymes, all of the mints, uh, rosemary, um, I know I'm missing um, a million different herbs, but yes, uh, grow rosemary and the sage you like in pots and nice loose potting soil and harvest them, harvest them during the summer. That's one way to keep them growing. Um, you know, keep your, um, keep your basil pinched back so that it doesn't go to flower. Same with your cilantro, unless you're growing it for the seeds. Right. So, you know, I would be growing it to, you know, chop up and put into recipes. Then you're going to, you know, no matter how you grow it outside, you want to constantly be pinching off any emerging flower buds. You want to delay that seed set as long as you can. That'll That'll give you the leaves all summer long. 
Correct. then, yeah, I mean, if you have space inside, do you have space inside that you could hang a simple shop light over top yes. of a sturdy table? I do. Could it be a four-tube shop light, four-foot um, long? It could, yes. Okay. So, um, for the, I apologize for those on radio, on television here. I've got some of my plants in the studio, and I'm showing my hand almost touching the top of the tallest tomatoes. That's where you want your light to be. So some of the lights are hung on chains, and you move the light up as the, as the plants grow. Sometimes you start the plants up really high on books or blocks, and just take books or blocks out as the plants get taller. But yes, if you have a four tube, four foot long fluorescent or LED fixture, they, they come in LEDs now, and you keep the tops of the plants really close, the worst you'll do is keep the perennials alive. Uh, but I will tell you that I had extra basil seed at the end of the season. And I bring plants in. I have a, a, a real high-intensity light on an insulated porch. And I bring in all my pepper plants. Peppers are perennials. Tomatoes are annuals. But peppers can live for many years if they're protected from frost. And they get to be big, beautiful plants. So I have a whole thing of plants out on, um, on this insulated porch that get this high-intensity light for eight hours a day. And just as a, as a kick, I had an empty container and I did basil in it, and I was eating basil, all fresh basil, all winter long. It was amazing. It loved growing in pots. So that's all you'd need to do is Correct. seed a fresh crop. Some, some people, if they're really into it, would have a couple of rows of cilantro and basil growing. You know, seed a fresh crop every month. So if something happens to it, you got more coming out. So yeah, it's totally doable as long as you will um, give the plants the correct amount of light. That's, that's how I raise all my tomato and pepper starts in the season. And it, it's really obvious if, I, if I'm not paying attention and I let them get a little further away from the lights, they start to get tall and skinny. And that reminds me to get them right back up there. Because fluorescent light and LED light is cool. It's not going to burn the plants. But the lumens drops off tremendously as the plants get away from the bulbs. So this is where fortune favors the, uh, the brave. And then when you want to harvest, you just pull that, uh, pull that bed of plants out towards you and go in there with scissors, put it right back under the lights. Terrific. This has been extremely helpful. Thank you. All I'll right. be able to enjoy herbs all year long. Absolutely, yes. As long as you provide enough light and you've got the room, herbs are probably the smartest thing to grow indoors. Terrific. Well, it's time for me to take another break and change my shirt again, maybe, and remind everybody out there that there's no such thing as a green pepper. All peppers, whether sweet or hot, ripen to a final color of red, orange, yellow, or a shade that looks like but doesn't taste like chocolate. So be patient, pepper pickers. Allow your peppers to fully ripen, and that delivers the best flavor and massively better nutrition. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to an encore episode of You Bet Your Garden, originally broadcast in May of this year from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to this encore episode of You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, constantly shirt-changing Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. Just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week, which is even more useful now than it was in May. How to properly install all those new trees and shrubs you're going to buy on sale in a couple of weeks at your local garden center. In the meantime, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Chris, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, sir. How are you today? I am just ducky, Chris. Thank you for asking. Where are you and how are you? Uh, I am doing quite well. Calling from Moore, Oklahoma, just south of Oklahoma City. Pretty much if you hear anything about tornadoes on the on the news, that's <laughs> where they're talking about. All right. What could we do for <laughs> what could we do for Chris in Oklahoma? Well, Mike, I have a um, raised planter that I've built in my backyard, and it's purely decorative. The purpose of it was to hide a gas meter that for some goodness knows why reason was right in the middle of our nice big open backyard. Uh-huh. So I built this planter um, in order to, to have something nice to look at in the backyard, and I filled it with uh, various perennial succulents, including some prickly pears. Right. My prickly pears have just taken off, and they're doing wonderful, but also what's taken off and doing wonderful is all the weeds that are growing down at the base of them. I'm wondering, sir, do you have any advice as to how I can help control the weeds without having to stick my hand in and have it come out <laughs> looking like it's a hedgehog? Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to go back and change those prickly pears out for something less prickly? <laughs> so, Indeed. So is this a raised planter of some kind? Yes, it is raised. I took great care to make sure it drains very, very well. I'm happy to tell you the steps to make sure you approve of what I've done in there. But yes, it's it's raised off the ground by quite a bit. And and how high is it when you walk up to it? Um, where? Oh, I, it's about waist? three feet. Okay, so waist high, kind of. And how do how do we think the weeds got in? You didn't use garden soil, did you? Oh well, I did. So what? Uh, how I how I <laughs> filled it? Because it was quite a large volume that needed to be filled. So I did a base layer of some you know broken up concrete. Then I did a layer of lava rock over that, and mm-hmm. then the rest of it I filled with – my wife and I were doing some other renovations in the backyard. So I took some of the soil from that we had dug up, mixed it with uh, two-part soil, one part um, gravel, one part perlite. Okay. See, what I, there's nothing wrong with that, although I wouldn't have all that non-soil stuff in the bottom. They don't recommend putting a drainage rocks in the holes of containers anymore. Um, what, what I've had you do – is when you installed this and got it filled, I would have had you water it every day um, for about 10 days and then see what sprouted, all the weed seeds that you planted, Ah. and then use a sharp hoe-like object to slice them at the soil line. And then after Ah. that, you're weed-free because you... Well, Mike, that would have required a fair amount of patience, which is something I severely lack in. I hear you. I hear you. (laughs) So... um, there are a couple of options. I doubt you want to, uh, in the coming weeks, I'm hoping to have a guy on the show who's asking about steam weeders. Um, mm. And he's talking about commercial ones used for farming um, that shoot, you know, uh, boiling water into the ground. It's great for controlling weeds. They also have the smaller ones for home use that are, you know, about $150, $250. And they have a long wand, and they heat up, 
and they're very accurate. You can steam the weeds without harming any other plants. One, one of your other options would be a flame weeder. Get a very small one, like the Burnsomatic um, Outdoor Torch. It uses a camp stove size bottle of propane, and it's got a shepherd's hook, and you click it, it has an automatic igniter, and a little flame comes out the other end. If you were really careful and patient, you could dehydrate the weeds without harming your prickly pears, which are probably the safest thing to have in that kind of a situation because they're so filled with water. Okay. But that would, and of course, men love the idea of having a flamethrower around. There's the risk of personal injury. You could Indeed. start a fire. I mean, God <laughs> I'm, knows. I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm willing to exert a little bit of patience just so I can play with the flamethrower. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When um, <laughs> I, I've always had them. One time, I just couldn't find mine, and the season was started. My son was about eight years old, and we went to the nearby tractor supply place, and I bought a new one. And we're in the checkout line, and it's filled with candy, and I'm expecting to be hit on, you know, Dad, can I have a lot of, you know, this and that? And, and he, instead, he was, like, silent. I thought the kid was sick. And we go outside, and I say, Max, are, are, are you okay? And he goes, Dad, you just bought a flamethrower. That is so cool. <laughs> Oh, that's not a bonding moment. I don't know what is. Hopefully you played with it together. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, just <laughs> my, my wife loved that. Yeah. Um, and then there is also a very interesting hand weeding tool. Tool. It's actually a family of tools. The main category is it's called the winged weeder. It has, okay. a, it has a diamond-shaped head. It's a hoe. Um, and there are really long-handled ones that have big diamonds on the end, and there are also very small-handled ones that would only be like a foot long with this tiny diamond-shaped, essentially razor blade on the end. And with the, it's called the, that one is called the Winged Weeder Junior. And you go in, and you can slice your weeds off at the soil line and not touch anything. I mean, the, the, the closeness, the precision is just amazing. Interesting. Interesting. So those are some, some great, uh, great pieces of advice. I, I have to admit I'm leaning much more towards the flamethrower option, though. That sounds like the best one so far. Right. And if you want to get in just there. Just because of the fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I love my flame weeders. They are the best. Um, and if you want to get in there and, and do a, a massive hand thing, there are special gloves that are made for roses that have okay. their leather and they have gauntlets like Batman's gloves on them. And you can go yes, in there and, you know, weed with impunity if you want to do a big knockdown. Awesome. I will have to look into those as well. Yeah, but definitely my hands are a little bit holier than they have been had before this <laughs> yeah, project started, to, be, to say the very least. Uh, sir, may I ask one more quick question, if sure. you don't mind, about the same garden? Uh, probably because of putting those drainage rocks, which I, I now know you would have advised against at the get-go, I also have a lot of friendly little buddies that have moved in with six legs. I've got a lot of ants that oh. have decided to take up residence. Any yeah. advice on dealing with those guys? I'm worried maybe they're damaging the roots down there. No, no, no. Ants are actually beneficial in a situation like that. Ants can be a nuisance in the house or when they get into stored food like grains. Um, mm -hmm. But in a situation like yours, they're actually aerating the soil. They're eating the eggs of other insects, and they're eating weed seeds. I've not, oh, known, I've not known them to ever bother decent 
plants. Um, so I would just leave them alone. And if you can't do that, just take some time one day and just flood the nest out. Just get out there and, and saturate that thing and, until you see them carrying the queen away on a little raft. I'm happy to live and let live. I just didn't know that was the best option. I, as, as a very, very novice gardener, I, I didn't know that was an option. I just made the presumption that they were a bad thing. So a appreciate of, you letting a, me uh, share the advice to live and let live. Yeah, a lot of people have the wrong idea about ants and spiders. They can be tremendously beneficial. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, sir, this has been very, very informative, and I now have some super fun projects, or toys anyways, <laughs> yeah. that I get to go by. My wife's going to love the fact that I'm out in the backyard playing with the flamethrower. That's right. So I appreciate you. I can tell her you said it's okay, so that'll make it all okay. That's right. Yeah, you go, Chris. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time today, My sir. pleasure. You take care. As promised, it's time for the question of the week. Planting trees and shrubs. Should you never improve the soil in the planting hole? Erica, who, quote, lives in gardens in Wheatfield, New York, which is right between Buffalo and Niagara Falls, writes, last spring I bought a bundle of young serviceberry bushes from my county extension. They were small, about a foot to a foot and a half apiece. I followed the instructions to first plant them in a, quote, nursery bed. I used a brand new flower bed that I had just filled with yard waste, municipal compost, and lots of perlite. They have done well and are leafing out beautifully. I'd like to transplant them to their permanent location in my crummy clay soil this fall, which would give them about a year and a half of growing up in the, quote, nursery. But I can't find any instructions on how best to do this. It seems to me that if I dig them up with lots of that loose, rich soil they are in now and plant them that way, I'll be guilty of improving the soil in the hole and thus discouraging them from ever pushing their roots into my crummy clay. But if I dig them out and shake off all that nice soil and plant them, quote, bare root, I fear I will damage those roots and kill them. As you can see, I have just enough knowledge to be dangerous. Actually, you have just enough knowledge to ask a darn good question, Erica. And before I fumble around for an answer, I would like to take a moment to praise your choice of plants. The serviceberry, aka the Juneberry, Shadberry, and about a dozen other common names, is a remarkable plant. It's native, it comes in both the form of a tree and as a multi-branching shrub. It is one of the earliest plants to produce fruit, hence the Juneberry tag. The fruits are a lot like blueberries and taste like a combination of blueberries and almonds. At least the best ones do. Like mulberries, the fruit quality can vary considerably from plant to plant. Some taste great eaten raw. Some fruits are fit only for making jam. And hey, you know that if you add enough sugar to anything, it's eventually going to taste good. They're a great plant for wildlife as well. Several cool-looking moths and butterflies eat the leaves. Many types of birds eat the fruits. And deer will eat the whole thing to the ground if you aren't careful. Now, you have the principle of this down perfectly. You will feel like a good parent if you fill the planting hole with nice amendments like potting soil, peat moss, compost, perlite, and vermiculite to create a wonderful, welcoming environment. But the reality is that the roots of those new plants will stay inside that welcome environment instead of fighting their way out into your crummy clay. These kind of plants never seem to grow, and you can generally lift them right out of the ground four or five years down the line. 
Now, are there any exceptions? Yes. Blueberries are the biggest one. They naturally grow in highly acidic peaty soil, aka peat bogs. So you have to backfill their holes with a lot of peat moss. With lesser needy acid lovers like rhododendron and azalea, a mulch of milled peat moss covered by a mulch of compost will generally suffice. Now, your nursery bed, aka healing in or positioning baby plants in a temporary bed until they're big enough to plant in an area whose soil scares you. You have been a good mother so far, and you are correct that late summer, early fall is the ideal time to plant new trees and shrubs. But I think it's time to get those kids out of the nursery and into the real world. Spring, early spring especially, is a fine time for planting. Double especially in your upstate New York climate, where harsh summertime temperatures generally last three or four days a year. Now, don't dig up your healed-in plants. Instead, soak the soil and pull them up ever so gently. Their new spot must have good drainage, at least good for clay, no ponding, okay? And excellent air circulation, as service berries are prone to some diseases, if overcrowded. Otherwise, assuage your fears by digging a super wide hole. It's okay to bust up the clay, just don't replace it. There's an old expression in this game, dig a wide hole, not a deep one. So go to town on the sideways action. That'll help the roots move in. Position your plants high up in their planting space. Now with trees, you have the root flare as a guide. You always wanna see that root flare above ground after planting. With shrubs, you're gonna to have to use your best judgment. Breathe, grasshopper, and believe that the plants want to live. Cover their roots with the crummy clay soil you dug up. No cheating. Then let a hose just drip really slowly at the surface of the soil for several hours for each plant. Let that soil settle. Mulch with two inches of that wonderful yard waste compost. And have a fast hand with that drip hose if you go a week without rain and or if it gets really hot which you wish, right? Last time I checked, global warming was still scared in your part of the country. Now, I wanna add two quick things here. This is true of bare root plants that have been healed in. If you buy a bare root plant, make sure you soak that bare root in a bucket of water for several hours before you plant it. If you buy a plant in a pot with a lot of soil around the roots, Use a hammer or a claw to pull away as much of that soil as you can and then plant the tree or shrub higher than it was in that pot. Well, that sure was some timeless advice about how to perennialize your plantings, now wasn't it? Luckily for those of you who wish to read this over in detail, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to improve the soil in my hole if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime, 833-727-9588, or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor. Your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at, now get this right, kids, YB, YG, 
at WLVT.org. And please include your location. We need that. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show and an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by WLVT. PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful, Charlie, Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work and stay current with what my garden is looking like this spring at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Davia Minnick works the phones. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bone. Zach the Tack Wisniewski in the house. And our CEO, Tim Fallon, is not our executive producer. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. So keep those phone calls and letters coming, true believers. And I'll see you again next week. boy where's the ball where's the ball ready go get it boy that's a good boy drop it drop it good boy good boy loyal partners throughout life you have many different partners shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life your health lehigh valley health network your health deserves a partner learn more at lvhn.org what tantalizing topic will we attack next week? Will there be a guest? Lots of your fabulous phone calls. Will the credits be funny? I'm Mike McGrath, and we'll find out together on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden.